0: it. Mr. Dean Brown, just a humble member of the community there in Wil- Wilmington, North Carolina, just doing his job. If you've built something you know, you got to get that home inspection, come and check it out. Yep, everything looks good, no, outlet's in the wrong place. Well, he's in the middle of his home inspection, when you, as you just are seeing it now, he sees what he believes is just a, uh, a, a fake, a, a, a decoy of some sort in the attic of a home he's inspecting. Well, through the furnace, contraptions there, He shines his light, and the eye of the contraption of the decoy blinks back. And he's out of there. He's out of that hole. Uh, The wildlife people come in and pull out. Let me just put the snout of this critter on there. Just a a smile of this. An eight-foot alligator out of the attic. Of a home in <laughs> Wilmington. How in the world did they, did they get in there? And you know, the construction crew said, you know, it was interesting. The other day, the other day, it's been several days now, that we found mud kind of all spread down the hallway and around the house, and we just called in the cleaning crew, and they had to repaint some areas. We had no idea. Upstairs in our attic was an eight-foot alligator taking a, taking a snooze. Let me, just, uh, let me just transition this way. There very well may be an eight-foot alligator in your attic today, and you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Father in heaven, we pray that you would speak, speak to us, individually. We're tired of pointing our fingers at everyone else. Today we want your spirit to work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You know you all probably recognize, realize the journey of our our last week, this this week, this this week, three years ago we had no idea what was going to hit us and how life would change. No one knew what was about to happen. So may it be that today, as we turn to Joshua, we're going to Joshua. May it be today... God says to you I've got you don't know what's coming next so you've got to give me your heart you've got to let me have full control we're gonna stick in this this altar theme we've ended the altar series we're we're, we're gonna kind of afterglow the next couple of weeks we're gonna afterglow we've got the young at all event next week and then uh, I'll be in a uh, privilege to travel to Palau to do a camp meeting this next week I fly out to Palau and I'll be back the following Sabbath to be here and we're gonna pick up the altar theme again we've finished the the series but we're, we're gonna just kind of reminisce over a few altars that didn't make the top five pick Joshua chapter 22 Joshua chapter 22 and the the land is has gotten divided all right the land has gotten divided or is being divided and uh, we're gonna pick it up in verse 10 and then we'll, we'll reflect on the story here when they when they came to Gileath near the Jordan, the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there. Now, I, I'm reading out of the NIV, but in the, I, I'm putting on the, on the screen New King James Version because there's a line that is just so much better in the New King James Version. They built an altar, an impressive altar, an imposing altar, just, just a enormous altar there. And now, verse 11, when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of the Canaan in gilead near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, verse 11, when the children of Israel heard, now the NIV just renders it, hey, when they heard the news, but the new King James says, no, 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 it's a little bit more specific than that. When the children of Israel heard someone someone a nameless someone I wish we could get rid of that someone this is a total aside but they show up in my office they show up in committee meetings someone said whoever that someone is I wish they would identify themselves but they were all the way back in the dividing land in Joshua's time someone someone said hey you know what I heard they built an nor- enormous a altar, a gargantuan altar. They must be worshiping false. When someone said, the children of Israel, the children of Reuben, rather, and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan, on the children of Israel's side, they built it on our side. But they've built an altar, and it must not be good. When someone said, now verse 12, And when the children of Israel heard it, when someone said, and the children of Israel heard it, do you see how one person just impacted an entire community of people? God help us with our tongues. That's not even the point. At least not the point we're talking about. When the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Hey, we have got to stop this. We have got to stop this. Now let's just go through the sequence of events. They built an altar, it's enormous, a gargantuan altar, on the side, on the west side of the Jordan River. Someone reported that that altar must be bad news. Someone interpreted the event. They created what Renee Brown would call a brain story. It's gossip, and it ought not to be repeated. Again, beside the point. When someone reported, we heard they built an altar, and we know why they built an altar, because they're worshiping false gods, then the children of Israel gathered to go to war. All right, a little bit of the backstory. What happened? As the children of Israel came to the Jordan, these tribes said, hey, wait a minute. We are, we are shepherds, and this is great pasture land. And they petitioned, two and a half of the tribes, petitioned to remain on the east side of the Jordan. Well, the children of Israel got a little nervous. Wait a minute. We've helped, clear, we've helped defeat this land and establish this land, and now you're going to settle here while we have to go conquer the rest of Canaan? No, no, no. We'll go with you and help conquer the rest of Canaan. It took several more years. And when we're done, all of our men and boys will come back here and settle with, the, with our families. So for years, they had fought bravely beside their brethren and that they had conquered the, the land of Canaan. And now these two and a half tribes are headed back across the Jordan when they pause for a moment on the Jordan and build, build this gargantuan altar. Well, someone reports it. And in the heat of the moment, with the interpretation from that someone, with the brain story that was created, they, the children of Israel, gathered for war. But then cooler heads prevailed for a moment and said, hey, let's, let's try to understand before we seek to be understood. And so they sent a delegation to ask, this is what it looks like from our side. We would like to understand what it looks like from your side. The delegation gets there. And they come to find out that this altar, this altar was meant for something very different. We're going to get there, and that's where we're going to end today. But here's, here's a tribe of people, a community of people, we would call it, a community that has a, a potential dividing moment, something divisive. Now, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be secretive among you. I've got, I've got as as. God seems to have pointed the way, as God has pointed the way, I have a handful of times that I get to stand in this pulpit. And these are strategic. I have prayed over and I've thought long about what I will use these last few moments for. So I want you to know I'm not filling space here. There's a community that has the potential to, to have something divisive. They have different assumptions and conclusions. A misunderstanding is on the verge of causing war. Oh, we stand back in our pious centuries later going, well, come on, they should have, come on. But isn't that how it always plays out? From this little narrative, from this moment in Israel's history, I want to draw two conclusions for us. Because there's a tension between two responses that happen here. They're both happening at the same time, and there's a tension, a bit of a balance that has to take place in any sort of of God seeking community, like a church. Response number one is correction and accountability And I'm going to say this twice everybody likes the idea of correction. Hey, let's fix the problems and let's hold Let's hold accountable what needs to what let's hold everything accountable. We like the idea until we are the one to be corrected or to be held accountable Then nobody likes it But the altar becomes this important moment and the children of israel react to their to the two and a half tribes wait a minute we cannot play around with something as significant as an altar you cannot an altar is significant an altar is a statement an altar is is a covenant a point of covenant we have to be faithful to god and so the children of israel respond with this let's go to war we would rather fight and destroy our very own flesh and blood than to allow error to exist among us. And because they know, they know, they have experienced it time and time again on the border of the promised land. You remember the story of Balaam, the the was prophet of God, invited to, to curse the children of Israel. He's the one that rode that donkey until the donkey wouldn't go past the angel. You remember that? Balaam gets there and says, God, I, I, there's, there's significant personal reasons here why I would like to do what I, I need to do next. And God wouldn't let him. When, he's, when he went to speak curses, he spoke blessings. And so then in an order to say, I can't get to him. I can't get to him. But, but listen, guys, I'll tell you how you can get to them. I know as long as they are faithful to the covenant with God, you can't touch them. They'll own you. But if you can get them to be unfaithful to the covenant with God, God God cannot bless them in their unfaithfulness. And so Balaam's suggestion on the border of the promised land, idolatry became a slippery slope To outright deliberate and public immorality. Flaunted in the face of the rest of the people. And they knew that. They knew that. I'm going to quote from two books today. Both I've just finished reading. And and they speak. So I'm going to two books outside of Scripture. One is the book Patriarchs and Prophets. The words on the screen. Their iniquitous practices did that did that for Israel which all the enchantments of Balaam could not do they separated them from God by swift coming judgments the people were awakened to the enormity of their sin what happened when they slippery sloped down by accepting the practices the pagan practices of the of the world around them a terrible pestilence broke out in the camp to which tens of thousands speedily fell prey tens of thousands of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters were lost. It was commanded that the leaders, the magistrates who led in this apostasy be killed and their bodies were hung up in the sight of Israel to show how severely God needed to deal with this. This wasn't just playing around. God had to be serious in order to save His community. They had to understand that God had a deep abhorrence to sin. Picking back up, patriarchs and prophets. You see, sin is an individual act with a community impact. Your and my sin. Goes outside of ourselves. Listen to this again: patriarchs, patriarchs and prophets. Now fast forward to Achan. Achan's sin, covetousness, brought disaster upon the whole nation. Listen to this line: For one man's sin, the displeasure of God will rest upon his church, till the transgression is searched out and put away. Woo! We like that. Send me on that mission, God. I will identify. I will tell you who's wrong in my church. I'll point you right to the sinners, in fact. You need their addresses? I've got a church directory on my app. Oh, be careful. One man's sin. For one man's sin, the displeasure of God will rest upon his church till the transgression is, transgression is searched out and put away. The influence most to be feared. I've got to read it. read it right here. The transgression... Until the transgression is searched out and put away. Keep reading. There we go. The influence most to be feared by the church. Oh, that's the list we want. Hey, I'll take notes on this part, preacher. The influence most to be feared by the church is not the open opposers, the infidels, the blasphemers. Oh, what is it then? I mean, those are bad news. But of an inconsistent, But of inconsistent professors of Christ. Those who sit in church and then Saturday night watch in their homes. Those who will teach and then talk ill of another. The inconsistent professors of Christ. These are the ones that keep back the blessing of God of Israel and bring weakness upon his people. Oh, I told you to be careful. Be careful before you raise your hand and tell, you, tell God that you can point out exactly the troublemakers and the sinners in his, his church. Because when there's a coldness and a spiritual declension and an inconsistent profession in my own life, I'm the biggest problem. And if you're going to give God any address, give him mine, please. And yours. It's not the infidel, not the open opposer, but you and me, brother and sister. It's us. It's us that need correction and that need to be held accountable. Oh, but you say, I am right, and I am right, and I can prove it. Oh, we just don't get it, do we? Everyone likes the idea of correction and accountability. Of course, everyone says they're great ideas until we are the one, until I am the one held accountable to a community, to a church. You and I need correction. You and I need accountability. And that's why God gave us the church. That's why God gave a community, beloved, because you and I can read our Bible and be just fine at home, except we're not fine because there's something about a community, a people group that gets together and comes together and worships together and prays together and serves together. Something about being together. I love my wife with all my heart. But the fact that we spend time together means there's times that I am so right and I can prove it. And God says you are so wrong. Apparently, apparently, there's a right and then there's a right. And you're gonna say, "Are you talking about? Are you talking about the, this lack of truth and and this postmodernism?" No, 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 no. I'm talking about what the Bible outlines here: is is that we have ascribed motive to another. Mm. Correction and accountability. Correction and accountability there's the tension between this and the very next thing that we're going to talk about But we must have it you must have it beloved quit pointing at everyone else in the church. You must have it All right number two what happened? There must be compassion there must be correction and there must be compassion What happened? Instead of war hey, we're gonna go fix them. We will march (gasps) With our nine and a half tribes, and we will stand up and they will either back down or we will destroy them. We're going to correct them. Instead, somebody with the Spirit of Jesus said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, why don't we ask them? Why don't we talk? Why don't we stick together as a community? And so they sent the delegation, and the delegation sought to understand before being understood. And I'm going to repeat that a couple more times as well. You must seek to understand. When was the last time you intentionally invited someone of a very different perspective that you think is in error to your home for Sabbath lunch and said, I'm not going to share anything of my perspective. I just want to hear about yours. No, 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 it's much better to, I know, I know it's much easier to invite someone with a similar perspective as you to sit at your dinner table and then to speak, to speak of the other. There needs to be correction and there needs to be compassion. Why don't we learn from someone else's story? Why don't we walk in their shoes for a moment? I was incredibly blessed by a colleague of mine in a In another part of this country when he called me and said I've been praying for you and today I prayed for you thinking about what if I was Michael and this is what I prayed trying to walk in your shoes I have on my my desktop on my on my laptop on the desktop of my laptop I have a picture of a cow I have a picture of a cow with this quote underneath it. It's from an ex-slaughterhouse worker. Cows do think and have emotion. They report, I worked the largest slaughterhouse on the planet, Iowa Beef, now Tyson Foods. We killed 200 cattle an hour. They would weep, crying with big tears, trembling with fear. Cows have emotions just like your dog and your cat. I'm thinking, whoa, come on, how many times have I thought about how a cow is feeling? And I leave that on my desktop because I want to live a life thinking, how is he and how is she feeling? Oh, be quick to correct. But with what sword you use? The tension existed in this moment over this altar. Are we going to correct and are we going to use compassion to do it? Back to patriarchs and prophets. No one has ever reclaimed, no one has ever, no one was ever, sorry, reclaimed from a wrong position by censure and reproach. These aren't my words. But many are thus driven further from the right path and led to harden their hearts against conviction. A spirit of kindness, a courteous, forbearing deportment may save the erring and hide a multitude of sins. That's apparently the the. The the tension, correction, accountability, and compassion. When I come with a spirit of kindness, courteous, forbearing. Forbearing means I'm going to stick around with them. I'm not saying if they don't fix their problem, I'm out. I'm saying I'm with you. I'm with you. What's the result? What was the result on the banks of the Jordan? When those 10 representatives sought to understand instead of to be understood, What would have been understood is the delegation of the army. But they said, no, let's seek to understand. And there became a beautiful unity. I'm going to keep reading Patriarchs and Prophets. Even under false accusation. What if you're falsely accused? What if your motives have come under fire? Even under false accusation, those who are in the right can can afford to be calm and considerate. God is acquainted with all that is misunderstood. He doesn't need you to be anxious and to put your dukes up. He doesn't need you. He already knows. He's acquainted with all that is misunderstood and misrepresented by men, and we can safely leave our case in His hands. So you don't need me, God, to to fix everyone else? I mean it, uh, it's kind of a spiritual gift isn't it lord? No, no he says no no keep reading patriarchs and prophets those who are actuated by a spirit of christ will possess the charity which suffers long do you catch that? They stick around, they suffer long, and they are kind. It is the will of God that that union and brotherly love should exist among his people. Now, wait a minute. Does that mean, does that mean that they're going to come together and say, yes, we agree. We agree. No, no, no. There is no need for union or brotherly love if we all agree. The disagreement is the moment in which brotherly love is manifested. I told you there was a second book I would quote from. Eddie Jacu wrote, The Happiest Man on Earth. Wait a minute. What's his life? What made his life so happy? Well, let me tell you what made his life so happy. As a teenager, he was a German Jew. As a teenager, his world fell apart. November 9, 1938, Night of Broken Glass, it's called. He was beaten by thugs his term arrested and sent to a concentration camp and for seven years concentration camps including the most famous Auschwitz stole everything from him everything if you haven't read the book just or or any account of these concentration camps it almost becomes too much to stomach as they describe How men and women would run to the electric fences and grab them in order to electrocute themselves so that the oppressors wouldn't have the satisfaction of killing them. The only thing they had left was to take their own lives. Eddie who who, who, who in his later years landed in Australia, He says happiness is something we can choose. It's up to you. You can make this choice. It's it's something that we can can choose. Nobody can take it from us. I want to keep reading one more line from him. The most important thing, he says, I have ever learned. The most important thing. the The greatest thing you will ever do is to be loved by another person. Come on, Christians. Here's a man who has suffered. He says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where it comes back to. What about just loving someone else and being loved by someone? What? It's the greatest thing that can ever happen. Well, if you talk to Peter, if you talk to Peter, the disciple of Jesus, and say, Peter, what, what would you say about this? He would point us to 1 Peter chapter 3. He would point us to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 he would say, listen, listen, let me tell you about this. 1 Peter 3, verse 8, though, I think it's 2 Peter. You're following along, you say, oof, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Finally, he says, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and Humble towards each other really do not repay evil with evil but god you don't know with insult with insult on the contrary repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing where did he get that from wait a minute have we heard that before jesus says in john 13 and verse 35 by this everyone will know you are my disciples when you love when you love each other and going back to eddie jack he says yeah yes yes Love is like all good things in life. It takes work. It takes time. You can't just, love, love doesn't just come easy. That's lust, however you want to describe it. But love means you stick around when somebody disappoints you, when somebody hurts you, when somebody disagrees with you. It takes time. It takes work. And so this tension on the border of the, of the promised land between God's people, his community of faith. Apparently we can do the right thing in the wrong way. What if we do the right thing in the right way? It means that we hold each other accountable. We allow ourselves to be held accountable, and we do it with long-suffering compassion. We're here to stay. I'm sticking with you, brother. I'm sticking with you, sister. Oh, this has a thousand interpretations in marriage as well, in our own personal relationships. I'm talking the community of faith. You take it and apply it to your life. Melanie and I are preparing for a marriage seminar where we have to give a little bit later this spring. We get to give, I should say. We get to share in another conference, a marriage retreat. They've asked us to speak for it. Melanie said something to me this week on one of our runs that she didn't know was a note in my message already. She said, you know, most of the problems in marriage are gonna stem from a personal disconnect with Jesus. Jesus. If I fix my journey with Jesus, it will fix a marriage relationship. Let's tell the people how to fix their journey with Jesus. And we'll save their marriages. We'll build their marriages. If you fix your journey with Jesus, most of the problems in your church will go away. You said, nah, you don't know the problems in my church. You don't know what so-and-so and what so-and-sos are doing. Because someone told me. Yep, someone, they still around. Beloved, do you get it? Our own defensiveness of what we believe is right. Our own seditious attack on others who disagree with us. Our own covetous way. That's the problem. The inconsistent profession of Jesus is what needs to be held accountable. And it can only be held accountable if I, if I raise my hand and said, oh, I, need, I need the work. I need, I need Jesus to fix me. It's not him and it's not her. It's me, Jesus. On the border of the promised land, As the church of Jesus lives today, we are on the border of the promised land and Satan is targeting it again. Within the community, he says, I've got to get them. I've got to get someone to say to someone and someone to say to another and then I will cause a separation and they will attack each other because I can't beat them as long as they're together with Jesus. And so on the border of the promised land next to the Jordan River two and a half tribes unbeknownst to them doing what they believed God had called them to do they were trying to be faithful they were trying to be faithful imagine that someone trying to be faithful and the others saying they are in fact being unfaithful but as they came together and they sought to understand before they, they were understood, they found out. This declaration, Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22 and verse 22. This is their response. The Mighty One, the God, the Lord, the Mighty One, God, the Lord. They repeat it. He knows our hearts. Our hearts were just trying to be faithful to Him. Let us tell you what we really were trying to do. We were trying to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow. They will know that we are together. The very thing that they meant for good was interpreted as wrong. And that's how Satan plays the game. Don't let him win. And they named the altar witness. They named it witness. So that the generations that would come after them, after you and I are off the scene of Campion or the Christian church, those that would come behind us would say, look, they were holding each other accountable and they were holding each other in compassion. We want to be a part and we want to perpetuate that community until Jesus comes. By the way, Jesus' prayer as he bowed his head in John 17 and verse 20 was "I, I pray not just for these that are here right now, but I pray for those that will believe in me through their collective, their joint mission and message. You can be right and lose. My prayer is not for them alone. They're not just on their own. They need accountability. Beloved, I am correction, yes, but make sure it starts with you and me. And then compassion that tension that must coexist. That's an old story, it's an old rock story. Coming out of, out of Arizona. Roy Westing. Going to, a, going to a, a rock show. He almost skipped it, but then he had other reasons to be in town. And so he, he landed in town and said, I'll go for a day. He skips over the f- finely polished rocks. And he gets down to, to just the Tupperwares. The, the, the butter dishes, Tupperwares, that just have rocks in the rough. It's kind of behind everything else, the, the, not the pretty stuff. And he says, he said, I, I came across a Tupperware dish, and I recognized, wait a minute, there's something here. So I said, he said, I talked to the, to the gentleman who said, yeah, I collected these up in, Emerald, in the Emerald Creek area of Idaho. I, I just kind of got a bunch of these together and brought them down. Uh, they're marked for $15 each. And, and Roy looked at him and kind of sized him up and said, uh, you want $15? Ah, oh, no. He said, I'll give it to you for $10. I guess if you're willing to buy something, I'll give you for 10 Roy Bott, Roy Bott, the world's largest saf- star sapphire ever found, size of a potato, they say, for $10 in Tucson, Arizona, and now holds a $2.8 million gym. When asked, do you feel bad about not paying the full $15? Not at all, he says. Not at all. I have no qualms about paying $10. When a man places a price on something he sells, that's what it's worth to him. What is it worth to you? What is the honor and the glory of the bride and the body of Christ worth to you? I'm telling you. I'm telling you, for, for a, a simple gesture of compassion... For a simple approach of long suffering and love, for a simple, under, for a simple uh, process of seeking to understand before you are understood, for a $10 act, you could buy the body of Christ. $2.8 million doesn't even touch it. You know what it is? Melanie's right. As she most often is marriages would be saved if men and women would be right with Jesus at their personal altars the church of Jesus Christ would be saved if men and women were right with Jesus at their personal altars take my life and let it be consecrated lord to thee take my hands my voice my silver my gold my will take my love all of these all of them ever and only all for thee hallelujah and amen
1: please join us in singing take my life and let it be